Many of you know that uh, Hope Church is partnering with um, pastors Wilmer and Helen Lopez. They are starting Hope Church in Espanol, a Spanish-speaking congregation here at Hope Church. And I've heard from uh, time to time people ask, when is Hope Church in Espanol starting? Um, and that's a, that's a good question. It's, you know, we, we kind of plan things as we feel God moving. Um, and uh, it's kind of exciting today. It's going to be the first day uh, that, that uh, they're having a time for Hope Church in Espanol concurrent to this worship service. So they worship in here together, and then our Spanish-speaking only folks or those who would like to um, go to a Hope Church in Espanol time, they're going to do that right now. So right before the sermon is when we see this happening for some time. And so if you are a Spanish speaker or like to go to Hope Church in Espanol, um, please um, join Pastors Wilmer and Helen. And um, I invite you to grab your Bible and um, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. The last two Sundays, we have looked at what it means to be truly human. The Bible reveals that being truly human isn't something that automatically happens. Yes, we're, once you're born, guess what? You're, you're born into uh, the, the human being family. But learning what it truly means to be human is different. It doesn't just happen with birth. And how well you do it, live as a human being, depends on where you are learning and who you are learning from. So we've been looking at the scriptures to help us understand what does it mean to be truly human. Last week, or last two weeks, we we said that being truly human means to die to self and to serve. And that's a, a pretty countercultural thought. As for the world, from the world, we we often find out that being human means kind of taking care of yourself and living for yourself in your dreams. Well, being being a human, we learn through looking at Jesus and the scriptures. It really means dying to yourself and receiving this new life that Jesus would have for you. Last week we mentioned that. Um, being truly human means being in community. And what I want to talk about today is something that Jesus does to help bridge these two things together, dying to self and serving, and community. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. This is what it says, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, This is why it says when he, when Christ ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Now what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, instead speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So today I'd like to begin with a statement, and then we're just going to kind of deductively unpack this statement. The first statement is this, that you are a gift from Christ and gifted by God. We're going to talk about being a gift this morning, to be truly human shifts how you see yourself. You're not just one in a community. You are a gift, and you are gifted. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, the verse we started with, says, To each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And there's a, another translation of the Scriptures, the, the, the English Standard Version, which... Um, the way that it conveys the original language is a little more word-for-word accurate, and the English Standard Version puts it like this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that doesn't mean that Christ measured out his grace differently to, to people, some receiving a little bit of grace and some receiving a lot of grace. It's not that Christ said, you get one scoop of grace, you over here get two scoops of grace. If you're fortunate, you get three scoops of grace. That is not um, what that verse means. It does mean that Christ does something unique in the life of every believer. Christ does something unique in your life. Through his grace... What is his grace, his, his love and action in your life, his, his presence, Christ being with you, all part of his grace. Through his grace, Christ has done and is doing something unique in your life through his love. And the reason he does uh, something differently in your life and differently in my life is so that together we can make or show the full measure of Christ to the world. So if you look the next few verses in the, the, the scripture we looked at, this is what they, they point to. Um, look at verses 8 through 10. Verse 8 says, this is why it says that when Christ descended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This means that if you're a Christian, you've received a gift from Christ, Christ's Grace in your life has done something in you. You have a gift. What are those gifts for? Paul then explains in verse 10 what the gifts are ultimately for. He who descended is the one who ascended. There's that word again, Christ ascended, in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ ascended. He gave gifts to his people. Christ ascended in order to fill the whole universe. So I hope you see the parallel statements being made. Christ has given gifts so that he can fill the whole universe. 
The big point is this. Christ gave you a gift, just like he gave the person sitting next to you a gift, just like he gave the person in front of you down the aisle a gift. He gives gifts so that we can be an expression, so that together we can be a sign. We can, we can, we can show the image of Christ as his ultimate goal is to fill all things. So these gifts are often thought of as spiritual gifts or um, abilities, um, strengths that we receive as God is working in our lives. Um, And these are things that, these are gifts that we can share for the benefit of others in the church. And in my experience, when... um, and, and, and I know that each one of you may have um, either thought at great length about spiritual gifts or not at all. You may be here this morning saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. What are these spiritual gifts? Um, I would say even for the first-time person to even think of a spiritual gift, and in my experience, many people who have thought at length about spiritual gifts, our tendency, my tendency at least is um, to think of gifts in terms of functions and abilities. I can do this. I'm useful in this way because I have this ability that somehow God has given me as he's worked in my life. But I want you to look at verse 11 because I want to present a different idea when it comes to gifts. So Christ gave himself. Christ gave Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. As you read through that, those aren't abilities that are listed. Those are people that are listed. And I think this is really important as we think about gifts from Christ. It's not that Christ gives people gifts. It is that Christ also, it's that Christ gives people as gifts. You see the, the, the small distinction between Christ giving people certain gifts and Christ giving people themselves as gifts. So one thing we need to hear this morning is that you have a gift from God that God wants you to share with his people, but we also need to hear that you are a gift from God. You are a gift. And you being a gift cannot be reduced solely to you using your gift. Let me talk a little bit about that. I can really appreciate a tool. I can be very thankful for a tool. I have many tools in my garage. One of those tools is a hammer drill. When we lived in Illinois, we lived in a house built in the 1930s, 1940s that had some interior walls that were brick walls. All the exterior walls were brick walls. Uh, You cannot use your regular drill to put things on the walls in this house. As we moved into it, we were looking forward to decorating it. And we quickly found out that we couldn't just hang stuff on the walls because many of those walls were brick. 
And so I had to borrow other people's hammer drills, and I got tired of having to ask people for their tools and wait to to get them. And so one day I finally bought myself a hammer drill, and oh, I was so happy after that. I could happily go around putting holes in all the brick walls of this house so I could hang stuff. So I could be thankful for a tool. I can replace a tool. Because a tool, like my drill, is solely functional and utilitarian. And we all need to know this morning, you need to know, you are not the same as a tool. (laughs) You are not solely functional in this church or utilitarian in this church church. You sharing your gift isn't like a tool doing its work. And I love it when new people come to the church because each person is a gift. God has worked through your life, through the power and the the presence of his Holy Spirit in you. And you've received a gift, you've received multiple gifts, these abilities that You have God working in your life. You have a story of God's work in your life. and, And God doesn't just instantly download these gifts into us like my phone downloads an app or I could just go to the hardware store, pick up a tool off the shelf. No, God... God works these gifts in us through his his presence in our life and his leading in our life and what he teaches us and shows us and where he he takes us in life. He develops these gifts. In other words, your gifts have a story behind them. I love to hear people's stories of how God has worked in, in your life, in your life. So we need to know this morning that the Holy Spirit has been working through all of that, all the details of our life, and that is very remarkable. And earlier in, in, in this letter that, that the Apostle Paul writes, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are God's handiwork, you're God's workmanship, you're God's masterpiece, because you have a story of God working in your life. So there is a distinction between having a gift, and being a gift. My hammer drill now largely sits under my workbench because now I live in a house full of sheetrock, and I don't need a hammer drill to hang stuff on the walls. So it just sits on my bench, and Melissa, my wife, is so quick to remind me it's not being used. Just get rid of it. (laughs) But people are different. And when you might not be sharing your gift or your gifts for whatever reason, that does not make you any less a gift to Hope Church. So we need you here. God does something amazing when he brings people together of all this diverse background and these diverse stories of God's activity in, in, in your lives and in in my life, God does something amazing when he brings diverse people together. So second point about giftedness, your uniqueness is a gift. God has made you unique. You have unique gifts. One of the primary themes of, 
of this letter is that God is bringing together people of very different backgrounds, people of Jewish backgrounds, people of non-Jewish backgrounds or Gentile backgrounds together into this church. People who may not understand one another because of their backgrounds. People who had very opposite cultural practices from one another. And God is just gathering them together in this church. And truth be told, if you or I were trying to go about making a new church, we probably would have taken a much different approach than God does, like getting people who have everything in common together. People who have natural chemistry together, who have, have all these things in common. That would, be, that would be at least be my approach in building a church. Well, God has a much different way of doing things than we do. God tends to do things in ways that, where it's only possible for God to do that. So in God's infinite creativity, God is, has created you unique from every other person. Sometimes I think that we forget that, especially when there is something about yourself that you wish were different. Maybe that's, um, maybe that's your shyness where you're like, ugh, I have such a hard time coming into a, a new space and I just feel like I want to go hide and I wish I were different. Sometimes we, we don't remember, hey, you're unique in the way that God has made you. And God has made you in a certain way. Or maybe um, that tendency of yours to freeze up whenever the spotlight is on you. You, you look at others who seem to be able to just kind of the spotlight is on, the, the heat is on, and they're able to just pick the, the, the perfect word to say, like, like the words are just out there for them to grab onto. You know, I wish I could be like that. We, we for, or maybe the opposite is true, where the spotlight is on you, and the problem isn't that nothing comes out, but too much comes out when the spotlight is on you. Yeah, and you. And you know that, and you're like, oh, you know, I wish I wouldn't say those dumb things when the spotlight's on me. I, I don't know. I, all I know is when, when there's something about us that we wish were different, we tend to forget, hey, actually, you know, God may have a real purpose in that. And because God may have a real purpose in that, I should be thankful for that. I should be thankful for that, that tendency of mine that uh, sometimes I wish I could exchange for something else. Um. But God has done things in our lives with such in our lives with such deliberate design. We we should recognize that and be grateful for that. So God doesn't just download gifts into you; He shapes them into you through His grace operating in your life, through the events and circumstances of your life. His grace, the way that God's grace works, is infinitely diverse. First. Peter chapter 4, verse 10, uh, Peter says something very similar to Paul regarding gifts and God's grace. He writes, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of, of what? Of God's grace. And it's various, it's various forms. And God's grace has done that unique thing in our, in our lives. God has taken events that we would describe as positive and negative Circumstances that we would describe some as victorious 
and some circumstances where we would say that's kind of a, a failure event in my life. God is, has taken all these different experiences and led us through different experiences. And then his grace works through those different experiences to, to shape us and to shape us with these gifts. Now, typically, here's when the pastor or the preacher says something like this. You know, belonging to church, it's belonging to a body, a healthy body, is when we're each member of the body does its own work, does its part. All of that is true. Um, In my experience, thinking through the ways that God has gifted you requires intentional thought. Like, you really have to think through it. You have to examine your life and how God has worked in your life and think about how God may have developed this strength or this ability, given you this, this gift. Um. So I want to take at least a moment and highlight, um, because it takes intentional thought, I believe, to notice how God has gifted us. Um, In two weeks, I mentioned those new Sunday morning classes. One of those morning classes is a giftedness class led by um, Lindy Baker, Danny Skelton. And it's a six-week class where we're going to talk about what God has done in our lives and how God has gifted us. Um, if you are interested, I'd love for you to join that class. Six weeks, starting two weeks from today, 9.15 a.m. Um, it's not simply a here, I'm going to take this little spiritual gift inventory and work it out by myself, and then I'll know everything. That's not the, the purpose of this class. Instead, you're going to talk together. You're going to, you're going to listen together, um, hear from others as they have used their gifts and uh, my, my hope, my thought is when this class does that and learns together, there'll be some unique individual learning going on. Hey, I think God is doing this in my life so I can share, share this gift with the church. But just because you think you, you may have a handle on what God has given you to share, it doesn't mean that you can easily find a place to, to use those gifts in the church. I've, I've seen that a number of times as a pastor People being like, yeah, I've got this. I I can do this. Well, I have no idea how to use this in the life of the church. Um, I I love hearing people's stories. If that is you, if you're like, I don't know what to do with this, come, let's let's talk. Let's have lunch together. Let's have coffee together. I would love to hear about what God has done in your life. And just because God shapes Gifts into people doesn't mean that those gifts are completely mature and developed. Uh, So verse 11, let's look at verse 11. Verse 11 begins, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to do something, to equip his people for works of service. Equip people for service, not just enlist enlist people into service. Um, Another way to, to read the word equip is to perfect to complete people for works of service. So our gifts need to be developed. When I was in seminary, I, uh, I participated in a year-long pastoral internship. Moved off to Jefferson City, Missouri, or Missouri, with, uh, with Melissa. Our oldest child was born, Susan was born, um, in Jeff City. 
And I was uh, serving on the staff of a larger church. It was my first opportunity to preach in front of a larger crowd, hundreds of of people um, in our worship services. And as as a young pastor, still a seminarian, I was still pretty wet behind the ears. And a few days after my very first sermon there, um, a, a very kind woman in the church um, came to my office, and there was something that she wanted me to have. And she said, I, I really enjoyed your sermon, and you should read this. <laughs> what she had done was she had evaluated my sermon, and what she had given me was a copy of William Strunk's grammar book, The Elements of Style. It's a thin little book that helps you be grammatically correct, like using prepositional phrases correctly instead of leaving your audience wondering, what are you talking about there? Um, And making sure that your pronouns line up grammatically with the things that they are pointing to, that they're modifying. Now, math and science folks, and that's my background. All throughout college, I was a math and science guy. Uh, We're not... and gals, uh, were not necessarily known for proper use of grammar. And apparently, uh, my sermon was not known for proper use of grammar. So, and and listen, I I fully am aware of the fact that if I were to take a transcription of what I preach on any given uh, Sunday morning, I might cringe at whether or not I am grammatically correct. But the point is this, our gifts need to be developed I needed to grow in the area of thinking through. Is my sermon really kind of making grammatical sense so that people can follow it? So equipping, here's the point. Equipping polishes you as a gift. We all must grow. We must grow in the effective use of our gifts. We are wrong when we think that we will share God's gift in this flawless fashion immediately without any growth needed in any way. So in verse 15, the Apostle Paul mentions speaking the truth in love. And when we think of that, we often think of correction of some kind. Like the lady handing me elements of style. There's some speaking the truth in love. So perhaps it's structural or procedural correction like that, like your grammar needs some work. Um, but usually when we think of speaking the truth in love, what do, we, what do we normally think of? We think of like ethical or spiritual correction, right? <laughs> I need to speak the truth in love to you. Um, there are times, and, and there are times, when, when there has to be some kind of correction because of the effect, some action is having on, on within the church body. And, and uh, as I've reflected on this, 24, just thinking about this, 24 years of, of pastoral ministry um, and just thinking through when this has happened. And it's happened to me. You know, it, it just happens within the life of the church. It happens with Christians who love Jesus Christ very much. Because Jesus-loving Christians, just like anybody else, are people who still struggle with, with sin, with ethical mistakes and sin. 
And that's why there is truth and love and forgiveness and grace and patience and restoration and relationship because Jesus treated sin with forgiveness and love and patience and restoration and relationship as people came and and repented of their sins before Jesus. So all of that is true with speaking the truth in love. Kind of the, the structural correction and the ethical, spiritual correction. But having said all of that, Having said all of that, I am not quite sure that this confrontational, hey, I need to share the truth in love with you, that confrontational truth-telling in love is primarily what Paul had in mind, the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote this. I think he certainly had some of that in mind, but I think he had something actually bigger in mind than just that. Paul mentions truth several times in this letter to the Ephesians. And largely, it's the truth of Jesus, or the truth that is in Jesus. So let's look at one time in chapter 1, Paul writes, You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. And what is the truth that he's speaking of here? The truth being the gospel of your salvation. What is truth there? But of course, the truth of Jesus' is death, by which he paid the death penalty for our sins, and his resurrection, the truth of Jesus' resurrection, through which we are not only promised a new life now with the love and the presence of Christ, but also receive this eternal future of glory. That that truth that is the beauty of, of Jesus himself, that truth that is worthy of your very life. This is the truth that Paul is talking about. It's, 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 it's the truth that is the treasure that's buried in the field. And, and Jesus says, and, and, and that, that field is worth you giving everything up so that you can have that field, so you can have that, that treasure. That is the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Listen, does anyone love the truth of the gospel this morning? I mean, this is the big truth that Paul is talking about. Not just this, I need to correct you on this, but the tr- we got to be preaching and teaching this truth of our salvation, of the gospel, of the beauty that is Jesus. That is the truth that we share with one another in, of course, in love. And when we encounter that truth that is Jesus, then you have that, oh, yes, Lord, take my life, take my life, and let it be consecrated all for thee. That's that's the truth that Paul talks about in Ephesians. The truth that is in Jesus. And Paul is saying when we know that truth, not just the head knowledge, you know, yeah, I know about Jesus, but, but, the, but that relational knowing of Jesus, that relational knowing the truth that is Jesus, then something's going to happen. And in verse 14 he says, then, look at what Paul says in verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. We're not going to be tossed back and forth by the waves. We're not going to be blown here and there by every other teaching that is contrary to the truth. That is the beauty of Christ and who offers us this new life in salvation. 
So we hear opposite truths, opposite teaching about what it really means to be human all the time. The surrounding world always presents to us some me-first way of understanding what it means to be truly human. You know, one teaching says material fulfillment. That is what it means to be truly human, just to, just to, to satisfy yourself, to enjoy the, the material benefits of life. And if you're material fulfilled, you have everything that you want in life, well, that's the way to realize your true human potential. So that's one thing that we hear. Another thing that we hear is um, that true humanity, being truly human, that's achieved when you get in tune with your sexual identity and, and you fulfill yourself in that way. That's what it means to be truly human. Another thing that we hear about being truly human from the world around us is that if you can control your environment as much as possible by gaining as much power that you can, then you will be realizing your true human capabilities and capacities and potential. That's, that's a me-first way of life. Always worried about status or pleasure or image. And we hear this from our culture all the time. It may be the image of, human, of being human that you hear about in your schools. It may be the image of being human that, that you at your office place, kind of subtly supports. We hear it all over the place. But it's not the way of Christ. And the way that we are set free from that me-first thinking of being truly human is only when we know the truth that is Jesus. And we teach that truth the truth of Jesus, to one another within the church. And that truth of Jesus and his beauty is what moves me not to live for myself, but rather to live for others and to share my gifts with them. And to be a true member of the body of Christ by just being present and being the gift that God has made me to be just like God has made you to be a gift. You four young ladies, the gift that God has made you to be, saying, I want to be that here in this church community. Um, Our true humanity is when Christ is fully formed in us and is present with us in this community. As we not only share the gifts that God has given us, but share ourselves as gifts. And when we do that, last point to write down, when we do that, you see, we actually encounter the true gift. Who is the true gift? By speaking the truth in love, we show Christ who is the true gift. So the church as the body of Christ is to be the true body of Christ. Like when we gather together, <laughs> we're not just gathered together, but we're helping one another to see Jesus right here, 
to experience Jesus right here. The truth is that being a part of a church should feel radically different than being a part of any other group. Being gathered here together as a church family should feel different than being you know, part of one of the sports teams across the street playing sports this morning. It should feel different. You know, you've heard me say on multiple Sundays, and refer to the, the pickleball group that just, they love pickleball and play every Sunday morning in my neighborhood. And being here should feel different than being a part of the pickleball group. It should because Christ is making himself present as we present ourselves as gifts to one another. When we're here gathered together, we experience Christ among us. So a couple of questions. What do you think this morning? What do you think, um, do I believe that I am a gift to Hope Church? Um, You simply being here, that is a gift. You are someone that God has worked through, worked in, and he's put you here, and that makes you a gift. That's question one. Question two, are you growing in God's word? Because we are to teach the truth that is Jesus to one another. Are you reading God's word? Are you learning it? Because as we do that together, as we grow in God's word together, we're we're able to, to better teach the truth of Jesus to one another. That is beauty. Uh, another question, do you have a gift that needs nurturing? Um, do you have a gift that needs sharing? Uh, are you thinking, can I come alongside others at Hope Church in some way that serves them by sharing this gift? And maybe this morning, here's a fourth question. You may think, boy, this, this, this Jesus Christ that is the, the gift, the true gift, I need him. How? How? How can I receive that true gift? We're about to pray. And this very moment, right now, you can receive Jesus as a gift because he's present among us. And he wants you to know him. And I invite you to pray, even right now, to receive Christ as that true gift. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, thank you for being present among us. Thank you that as we gather and we sing, you're here. You receive our praises as we listen to your word. You're here present in your word that we are reading and proclaiming and hearing. You are here as we present ourselves to one another as gifts. Thank you for being present. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your grace at work in our lives. That we, we, that we would be so moved by your beauty and your salvation that you so freely give that we would desire to, maybe in a, in a, in a more full way, um, to share ourselves as gifts to one another. Just because we know that you are present when we do that. And Lord Jesus, if there is someone that has not fully received your presence in their life and the forgiveness of their sins, 
that you lovingly give through the shedding of your blood on the cross to all who believe. Lord, even right now, as people ask to receive you as the true gift, make it so. Be present in all of our hearts. Work your your saving, redeeming power in us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.